Welcome to the Thomistic Institute podcast. Our mission is to promote the Catholic intellectual tradition in the university, the church, and the wider public square. The lectures on this podcast are organized by university students at Thomistic Institute chapters around the world. To learn more and to attend these events, visit us at ThomisticInstitute.org. We'll begin with the Hail Mary, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. This talk is titled, The Mystery of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And I'd like for us to consider, first off, mystery. The, when we think about the word mystery, we can use the word mystery in different senses. In theology, we consider mystery because that this is something that is normally beyond our knowledge, something that is beyond what we can naturally know, but has been revealed to us by God. And in this mystery then, we then uh, have a real knowledge by faith of something that we normally would not know, and that this would be inexhaustible. Of all mysteries, the greatest mystery is the mystery of the Most Holy Trinity, that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so that the Trinity is the chief and central mystery of Christian faith and life. And then how we can consider how all things in theology are related to God. So theology precisely is that way of thinking about God and all things in relation to God as their beginning and end. And then within that, you consider how human life is a mystery, that we're made to the image of God, that each of us is a mystery, uh, how each of us is someone who is created by God, and then that uh, God is our end, our, our purpose, that we're made for him. And then how we can know more and more something of our own mystery, especially in the mystery of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ shows man to man that what it means to be human, what it means to be in God, that Jesus Christ is our Savior. And so in a special way then, we can consider how every human's mystery is in relation to the mystery of Jesus Christ. Now, within this, I'd like for us to consider especially one person and that mystery. And that person is the Blessed Virgin Mary. So, the talk again is the mystery of the Blessed Virgin Mary. The talk is divided into two sections. First, we will consider some meditations on some scriptural passages and then look at the four principal Catholic teachings on the Virgin Mary. So first, scriptural passages and then the principal Catholic teachings and that these teachings uh, articulate in uh, an official way what has been revealed to us by God. And of all things revealed to us by God, there is something very special about sacred scripture. So that we have sacred tradition and sacred scripture, and that we see the two of them together, expressing the mystery that God is giving us for our salvation. First off, in looking at sacred scripture, I have several passages where I just want to read each one and then have some meditation so that way we can think about the significance of how this one, the Blessed Virgin Mary, is being shown to us. So the first three passages are from Luke's account of the Gospel. In Luke 1 we read, And the angel said in reply, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. 
Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And this is where in the mystery that in a special way we can consider how uh, Mary is showing us something of the Trinity. Did you see how uh, in this we see the Trinity at work? At the Annunciation, when the angel Gabriel comes to Our Lady, uh, he says to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. In the Annunciation, we have something of the Trinity at work, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Again, what's the chief and central mystery of Christian faith and life? It's the Trinity. And so the Blessed Virgin Mary's identity is precisely an identity in God. And that she is especially known for this identity because of her unique privilege of bearing forth the Holy One, the Son of God. When she, carrying our Lord, goes to Elizabeth, uh, we hear from St. Luke, also in chapter 1, When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the infant leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, cried out in a loud voice and said, Most blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how does this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? You see how Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and that she has this rather extravagant praise of Our Lady, that Mary is the most blessed one among women. And did you notice that uh, if you want to be very precise, it looks a little odd that she's called most blessed and what's her fruit called? Blessed. It looks like if you just were to take this uh, most literally, that she is even more blessed than the one that she's carrying in her womb. Of course, does St. Luke mean that? No. But is that what's actually said? Yes. And do you see how St. Elizabeth is very much affected by this? So she had been, uh, she had been mentioned by the angel Gabriel in the Annunciation, and this is why the Virgin Mary goes to her kinswoman Elizabeth, and then notice how Elizabeth's life is affected by the mystery of Mary. And how does this happen to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So that when Mary comes, that Elizabeth then has a better sense of her own identity, of the mystery of her own being, and how it's more wonderful than she could have imagined. Okay? And this is very important then, to see how when Our Lady comes to us carrying our Lord, it is more wonderful than what we could imagine. So in this exchange, the Virgin Mary then utters this great canticle of praise called the Magnificat. And within it, uh, she says, and this is Luke chapter 1, My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked upon his handmaid's lowliness, Behold, from now on will all ages call me blessed. The Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. This is where you see that Our Lady is saying something about how she knows that something of her mystery is going to redound for all ages. From now on, all ages will call me blessed. All generations will call me blessed. It's astounding. Some people object to calling Mary 
uh, saint or uh, blessed or holy, you know, various titles. Of, of, and, and, but the Catholic Church loves to do this because this is what we see in sacred scripture. That Our Lady herself, who is precisely the lowly handmaid, is saying that all generations will call me blessed. All right, now from these passages in Luke, I want us to consider a couple passages in St. John's account of the Gospel. First we go to the beginning of John chapter 2. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the wedding. When the wine ran short, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, how does your concern affect me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servers, Do whatever he tells you. Now we know this as this first sign in John's account of the Gospel, and that this first sign was a sign of faith where Jesus shows something of his glory and his disciples believe in him because uh, he turns water into wine at this wedding feast in Cana. But why did he turn water into wine? It was because of his mother's intercession. All right, so when the wine ran short, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Our Lady brings to her son the concern of these people. And Jesus gives a sort of rebuff. Woman, how does your concern affect me? My hour has not yet come. And what does Our Lady do? She turns to the servers and says, do whatever he tells you. These are the last words recorded in sacred scripture from the Blessed Virgin Mary. Notice how she is bringing people to the Lord, and even when it seems that she, he's, he's not going to do something at the time, she knows that this is the time, and that precisely uh, he is showing forth something of his mother's intercession in this. He didn't have to do that. He knew very well what was going on. He wanted his mother to intercede for these people. Sometimes people think, oh, well, Jesus is our Savior. Yeah, th that's enough, isn't it? Jesus is our Savior, and he is enough. God alone satisfies. And God allows people to be, uh, to be within the mystery of his providence, to be the, within the mystery of salvation. You can think about how saying the right thing at the right time, praying the right thing at the right time, can precisely be the way that God is saving. And of all the, uh, all the creatures, of all the disciples of Jesus, who say and pray the right things at the right time, we think about the Blessed Virgin Mary. It's been revealed. Now, if you go more toward the end of John's account of the Gospel, say John chapter 19, and look at the cross, the evangelist writes, standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary of Magdala. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple there whom he loved, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her into his home. So these are some of Jesus' final words. From the cross, he looks down and he sees his own mother and the, the beloved disciple. And notice how he places himself within the identity of his beloved disciple. 
Origen brings this out very well. Origen, writing in the, in the 3rd century, says, for those who know rightly, Mary had only one son, because Origen knew that some people said that Mary had other children. But Origen says, oh, no, 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 you know, if you understand scripture correctly, Mary had only one son. And who's that son? Christ. And so when Jesus, upon the cross, says, behold your son, he's giving his own identity to the one he loves. For the beloved disciple becomes Christ. That is what it means to be a Christian. To live out the mystery of Christ here and now. Truly to be a member of Christ. Truly to be uh, within his living body, the church. And so then we see how just as Jesus had a mother who bore him, so we, in the order of grace, have a mother who bears us. Her name is the Blessed Virgin Mary. Now, after the resurrection and the ascension, the disciples are gathered together in prayer. And St. Luke writes, writes in Acts chapter 1, All these devoted themselves with one accord to prayer, together with some women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. This is in preparation for the great day of Pentecost, uh, the, feast of Bo the Feast of Weeks, where seven weeks after Passover then, there is Pentecost, okay? So that you have the, this Feast of Pentecost, which for the, uh, for the Jewish tradition signals the giving of the law, but now in the church, the giving of the Holy Spirit. And so Mary is singled out among all these other disciples uh, precisely to be there in prayer, praying for the giving of the Holy Spirit. Notice then the centrality that she has there. And the final passage that I want to pick out from the New Testament is St. Paul's letter to the Galatians chapter 4. Right? Remember how uh, the chief and central mystery of Christian faith is the Trinity? Okay, so how Our Lady, is her, her, her dignity, her mystery is in God. Galatians 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to ransom those under the law, so that we might receive adoption. As proof that you are children, God sent the Spirit of the Son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a child, and of a child, then also an heir through God. Now, notice then how St. Paul emphasizes the Blessed Virgin Mary by that title of a woman. Okay? It's the title that Jesus gives his own mother in John's Gospel, woman. Okay? So woman, how does, your, how does your concern affect me? Woman, behold your son. And that God sent his son, born of a woman. There were some early heretics who did not think that Jesus was really born. And the, uh, the Catholics, the Orthodox then, knowing rightly, wanted to stress, oh yes, Jesus was really born of a woman. Okay, so these heretics, so you can think about the Marcionites, uh, you can think about the, the Manichaeans, uh, that, that Jesus really was born of a woman. Um, and, it's beca and because the, of Jesus being born of a woman, we can be reborn in him. He came, he was born to be our savior. Christ was born to save. 
and that precisely he gives us his own spirit so that we may have the spirit of adoption. Now you see then how there are these various uh, revelations in sacred scripture of who Mary is, of her identity. And what I want us to do now is to go to Catholic teaching, the four principal what are called Marian dogmas, so that way we can understand something of the Blessed Virgin Mary and something more of our Christian faith. Because each one of these dogmas is not just about Mary, but it's about the totality of what God is doing for us. There's a Dominican professor of, of the Blessed Virgin Mary by the name of Father Vincent Wiseman. So Father Wiseman used to teach in Washington, D.C., but he's been in Kenya, I think, since the year 2002. So for over 21 years, and he loves to teach the Blessed Virgin Mary. Uh, he's, an, uh, he's an expert in various areas within Mariology. He wrote his dissertation on Marian salvation in the life and writings of St. Catherine of Siena, which is a wonderful work. But I remember talking with him one day about the joy of teaching the Blessed Virgin Mary, and he said, when I teach the Virgin Mary, it's like I can teach anything within theology. Because when you, when, you, when you talk about Mary in faith, you need to talk about all the different areas of theology. Because if you don't have these different areas of theology, you won't be able to understand her mystery. Right? So that's a sort of principle. And we're going to see this now with the four Marian dogmas and how important they are to, for us to understand not simply the mystery of the Vir Blessed Virgin Mary, but all sorts of mysteries within the Christian faith. The first of these, and the chief one, is the mother of God. Mother of God. And in Greek, it's theotokos. So a literal way of saying theotokos in English would be bearer of God. And some may say, oh, well, we should just say bearer of God, not mother of God. Well, the Greek tradition, actually, if you were to look at Greek icons, you would have the abbreviation on either side of Our Lady's head, mater theou, okay? So literally, mother of God. Because the Greek tradition can say theotokos, they can also say mater theou, mother of God. And this is a dogma that protects the truth of the incarnation and also a truth of something of human nature. Uh, mothers give birth to persons. Okay, mothers give birth, gives, mothers give birth to persons. Okay, so you can think about how a mother gives birth not to a nature, but to a person. All right, so my mother gave birth to 10 persons. I'm the youngest of 10. All right, so she is, she's a mother 10 times over, and each of us is a particular person. Well, the Blessed Virgin Mary gave birth once, and this person is God. Right now, there was an Archbishop of Constantinople who protested when some people called the Blessed Virgin Mary Theotokos. And he thought it sounded like they were making Mary a pagan goddess. And he said, oh, no, 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 you should not say Theotokos. You could say Christotokos. You could say that, he, that she's the bearer of Christ, but don't say Theotokos. St. Cyril of Alexandria retorted in so many words, we must say that Our Lady is Theotokos, is mother of God, because the one born of her is God. Yes, he's Christ, 
But this is the eternal Son of God who took upon himself our weak humanity, and there are not two persons in Jesus. There's only one person. The one person is the eternal Son of God who has taken upon himself our weak flesh. Jesus is not some mere ordinary man. He is God enfleshed. And so the one born of Mary is God, and she thus is Theotokos. In 433, when St. Cyril of Alexandria is writing a letter to John of Antioch, who in some ways had been opposing certain aspects, uh, but then uh, had this formula of union or reunion, Cyril of Alexandria just says, let the heavens rejoice and earth be glad, um, because now we have the union and you have accepted that Our Lady is Theotokos. And he says, you have to understand that nearly the whole controversy was about this. It was about this term. Can you say that Mary is Theotokos, that she is mother of God? And if you can say it, then you are safeguarding the truth of the incarnation that God really was enfleshed, that God enfleshed, suffered, died, and rose from the dead for us. Okay, so that there's only one person in Jesus, and that person is the eternal Son of God who has taken upon himself our weak flesh. So notice then that it's all about uh, our salvation because of who Jesus is. This Marian dogma is protecting the truthfulness of Christ our Savior, because Christ is our God. All right, so that is the first and chief of all the Marian dogmas, and, and how that really helps us understand who Jesus is. The second one that I want to consider is the Immaculate Conception. And you can think of this especially concerning the gratuity of grace. Now, sometimes Catholics are accused of not appreciating God's grace. Um, but the Catholic teaching of grace is primarily about God's graciousness, and any merit presupposes God's grace at work in our life. St. Augustine said in various ways that, that the merits themselves are God's gifts to us. Why? Because we cannot merit without God's grace. God is the one who works and wills in us. And then how uh, the Immaculate Conception is uh, a dogma that shows forth that Mary did nothing, did absolutely nothing to receive this grace. Why? It's about her conception. Did you choose to be conceived? I didn't. I don't know of anyone who did. And so, uh, Mary, so then it's a radical, radical uh, teaching about the graciousness of God's grace because it's about how Mary did not come into the world with any sin, uh, without original sin, and that she never had personal or actual sins. Pope Pius IX, in his dogma proclamation of Ineffabilis Deus, says in 1854, God ineffable, whose ways are mercy and truth, whose will is omnipotence itself, and whose wisdom reaches from end to end mightily and orders all things sweetly, having foreseen all, from all eternity the lamentable wretchedness of the entire human race which would result from the sin of Adam, decreed by a plan hidden from the centuries to complete the first work of his goodness by a mystery yet more wondrously sublime through the incarnation of the word. This he decreed in order that man, who, contrary to the plan of divine mercy, had been led into sin by the cunning malice of Satan, should not perish, and in order that what had been lost in the first Adam would be gloriously restored in the second Adam. From the very beginning and before time began, the Eternal Father chose and prepared for his only begotten Son 
a mother in whom the Son of God would become incarnate and from whom in the blessed fullness of time he would be born into this world. Above all creatures did God so loved her that truly in her was the Father well pleased with singular delight. Therefore, far above all the angels and all the saints so wondrously, did God endow her with the abundance of all heavenly gifts poured from the treasury of his divinity, that this mother, ever absolutely free of all stain of sin, all fair and perfect, would possess that fullness of holy innocence and sanctity than which, than which under God one cannot even imagine anything greater in which outside of God no mind can succeed and comprehend fully. Right, so this is where, why is Mary created so special? Because God knew that she would be the mother of Jesus, our God and Lord. And so to get to the precise dogma, Pius IX then says, we declare, pronounce, and define that the doctrine which holds that the Most Blessed Virgin Mary, in the first instance of her conception, by a singular grace and privilege granted by Almighty God, in view of the merits of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the human race, was preserved, free from all stain of original sin, is a doctrine revealed by God, and therefore to be believed firmly and constantly by all the faithful. Right? So notice, how did Mary get to have this unique condition? It's because of the merits of her son, Jesus Christ. What, do you mean that the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ somehow was able to work historically backwards? Yes. In fact, Christians have said this for a very long time, that the saints of the Old Testament were precisely saints in view of Jesus. He is the one Savior of all. In all times and all places, anybody who goes to heaven, goes to heaven because of Jesus. He is the eternal Son of God, uh, made man for us. And that in view of his eternal plan of salvation, that those who are holy before him are sanctified. What Pius IX emphasizes is that Mary had a unique privilege in view of the incarnation to be wholly preserved from sin due to the blood of Jesus. Okay, so we are not preserved from sin, but we are saved uh, from original sin having been contracted. Okay, so this is, this is a unique privilege, and it also foretells something of what the church is meant to be. That the church is meant to be holy and without blemish, okay, spotless, forever and ever in heaven. All right, so that is the Immaculate Conception. And we have two more Marian dogmas that I'd like for us to consider. So the Immaculate Conception especially tells us something about the power of God's grace. The next one I want to consider is the perpetual virginity. And the perpetual virginity uh, is articulating something that Christians have uh, known for a, uh, since the beginning, but was contested very early on. Remember how Origen said concerning Mary, for those who think rightly Mary had only one son? Well, there were Christians in the third century who thought wrongly, who thought that Mary had multiple children. And so this, was, uh, so this is where you have different kinds of opinions. So you have the truth of the Catholic faith, and then you have other ideas. All right? So the Catholic Church uh, realizes that God preserved Mary's virginity throughout her life, before, during, and after the birth of Jesus Christ. And that there is a particular preference for virginity. 
And I want us to consider this more eschatologically first because this can be startling for some people. Do you realize that in heaven there's perpetual abstinence from sex? All right, so not everybody imagines paradise as being sexless. But traditionally Catholics, yes. You know, in fact, Christians, yes. Why? Because Jesus says so. Matthew 22, Jesus said to them, so the Sadducees, when they were having this contest uh, uh, about the resurrection, Jesus said to them in reply, you are misled because you do not know the scriptures of the power of God. At the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. All right, so this is why marriage is until death. Uh, till death do we part, okay? Until death. And then, actually, life goes on. Because each of us is meant to live forever. And in heaven, there is an everlasting life of happiness without marriage. Okay, now it doesn't mean that everybody in heaven is uh, a virgin, but I want you to see how actually marriage is precisely for this time on earth, and it's a beautiful um, natural institution that has been raised by Lord to be one of the seven sacraments. Um, it's for this time on earth. And Our Lady's perpetual virginity helps us then to see something about the beauty of, of the virginity, uh, that there's something even higher than marriage, which is so good and beautiful. And, uh, and that uh, the, in the early church, there were various proclamations about Mary's virginity, her perpetual virginity. In fact, we sometimes say the ever-virgin Mary, Mary ever-virgin. I want you to hear from St. Augustine of Hippo, who preached a Christmas sermon uh, with this passage. Okay, so this is Sermon 186. He begins this Christmas sermon, Let us rejoice, brothers and sisters. Let the nations be glad and exult. It is not this visible Son, but its invisible Creator, who has consecrated this day, when the Virgin Mother gave birth from her fertile and unimpaired womb to the one who became visible for us, by whom in his invisibility she herself was created a virgin in conceiving, a virgin in giving birth, a virgin when with child, a virgin in being delivered, a virgin forever. Why be astonished at these things, O man? That is how he made her, who was himself made from her. He already was, you see, before he was made, and being almighty, he was able to be made, while remaining what he already was. St. Augustine continues, He made a mother for himself, while he was still with the father, and when he was made from his mother, he remained in the Father. How could he cease to be God on beginning to be man when he enabled his mother not to cease to be a virgin when she gave him birth? Okay, do you see how St. Augustine is considering the different ways of looking at Jesus, the one born of Mary, because Jesus is both God and man. Jesus did not cease being God and becoming man. And then he says to us uh, how uh, the Blessed Virgin Mary did not cease being a virgin and giving birth to this one who was both God and man. And that her son, Mary's son, made her. So he is, in a sense, made humanly from the one that he himself, as God, made. All right, so 
then you think about how, oh, okay, the very intimate connection between this one and his mother, because this one is also God, and that, uh, that, in the, uh, that we know from the Annunciation that uh, Mary said, I know not man. How can this be since I know not man? And that St. Joseph, who had a real marriage with the Blessed Virgin Mary, uh, did not have the marital act with her. And St. Augustine shows how, well, in another place, that th their marriage did give, forth, did give um, way to the fruit of marriage of the child. Because, uh, because Joseph acted uh, in that place of a father to be as Mary's husband and then the one who raised Jesus. So this is where how Mary's virginity is protected precisely in being uh, the spouse of Saint Joseph and that the, and that the child of, uh, of Mary is Jesus who has uh, who has the special privilege of having a virgin mother because of who he is and of the plan of salvation for us and for us to consider the great dignity of virginity. It was precisely in the late 4th century and early 5th century where there were these um, uh, various debates about virginity that especially there was an emphasis on the ever-virgin aspect of the Virgin Mary. Okay, so that there's something that ties together both the ascetical practice of a preference for virginity and also looking at how there is the truthfulness of the mystery of the Blessed Virgin Mary as precisely ever virgin. Now, the fourth and final Marian teaching that I'd like for us to consider is the assumption of Mary's body and soul into heaven. And this is a one way of considering the truthfulness of our resurrection, the resurrection from the, from the dead, that we believe that, uh, that Jesus Christ will, uh, is risen from the dead, okay? that he first of all is risen from the dead, body and soul, and that he is uh, going to raise all of us up, that we're meant to be bodily and, and soul, body and soul together. We're meant to be body and soul together. 1 Corinthians 15, St. Paul says, For just as in Adam all die, so too in Christ shall all be brought to life, but each one in proper order. Christ, the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ, then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to his God and Father, when he has destroyed every sovereignty and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. So Jesus Christ is uh, our Savior who conquers sin and death. And we will not see the full extent of his victory until that last day, when there will be that general judgment uh, with the resurrection of all. Okay, so the resurrection for condemnation and the resurrection for glory. And that then all will be body and soul. And we will see then how uh, we're meant to live with Christ forever, body and soul. Our Lady had a special privilege in having, a, 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 within the order, a primacy after her son. 
so that because of who she is, uh, the Lord gave her this privilege and then for us, I think, to be strengthened in our hope and our own bodily resurrection. Pope Pius XII in 1950 declared this dogma in Munificentissimus Deus, okay, so the most munificent or most generous God. Pius XII says, uh, a little bit into this document, he says, for which reason, after we have poured forth prayers of supplication again and again to God and have invoked the light of the spirit of truth for the glory of Almighty God who has lavished his special affection upon the Virgin Mary for the honor of her son, the immortal king of the ages and the victor over sin and death, for the increase of the glory of that same august mother and for the joy and exultation of the entire church by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ as the blessed apostles Peter and Paul and by our own authority, we pronounce, declare, and define it to be a divinely revealed dogma that the Immaculate Mother of God, the Ever-Virgin Mary, having completed the course of her earthly life, was assumed body and soul into heavenly glory. Notice how this is a sort of capstone of Marian teaching in that last phrase, the Immaculate, okay? So she who was immaculate conceived, immaculate means without, without um, stain, the Immaculate Mother of God, Okay, Mother of God is the chief of all Marian dogmas, the ever-Virgin Mary, so that you have that perpetual virginity there. And then having completed the course of her life, because Pius XII did not want to define whether Mary died, okay, so just simply having completed the course of her life, was assumed body and soul into heavenly glory. And so Mary is now in heaven, and she is praying for us. She is our tender mother who wants us to go to her son. Again, what did she say at the wedding feast of Cana? Do whatever he tells you. She wants us to be on the way of Jesus Christ, who is the only way back to the Father. Thanks for listening to this lecture on the Thomistic Institute podcast. The generosity of people like you makes this podcast possible. If you enjoy these talks, please consider showing your support at www.thomisticinstitute.org donate. Your donation of even a dollar helps us reach more college students and many others with the powerful truths of the faith, and it ensures that we can keep publishing top-notch lectures on this podcast. Thanks a lot.